This is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee, coming to you from Wurundjeri Land, and this is The Full Story. One of the things that defines sports like AFL and rugby is the sheer physicality of the game. But a growing number of scientists are concerned that repeated head injuries are causing a disease called chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE. Now, an Australian Senate inquiry is investigating what role sporting bodies play in this problem. Today, who's responsible for the long-term health impacts of contact sports? It's Thursday, the 16th of February. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The Strong Family are an incredible sporting family. Stephanie Convery is the inequality reporter at Guardian Australia. Their patriarch, Terry, played rugby league for a good two decades. Dad's medium of communication was sport. He was really good at sport. He knew a lot about sport. He could use sport as a way of talking to people and putting things into perspective for us as kids. He also worked for a long time as a Telstra estimator and for a while there also drove trucks. And Terry's wife, Kathy, spoke to me about their 44-year-long relationship and how much of a team they were. Terry and I, we managed our finances so well over the years so we could have a holiday overseas every year. We loved travel. Um, we had a great group of friends. We were just loving life. They have two sons, one of them, Michael, also talked to me about his dad and told me that one of his fondest memories of his dad was that every week they would have Spaghetti Fridays and Terry used to do the cooking. Spaghetti Bolognese was his signature dish. Spaghetti Fridays was every week and it was just his thing and he loved it and he cooked great spaghetti, Dad. I remember I was with some friends and he said, I'll cook Spaghetti Bolognese for you when you get home. It'll be ready for you. And then all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, he just wouldn't remember how to cook spaghetti. He couldn't remember when to put the spaghetti on or when to put the onion in, and it was a real effort. Terry died in 2021 after a rapid and very distressing deterioration into dementia. I first met the Strong family after they gave evidence to the Senate inquiry into concussions and repeated head trauma in contact sport. Terry's deterioration started in his 50s, 
And for a long time, he was very good at working around his difficulties. He even hid them from his family a lot of the time. But when he got to his 60s, he started to not be able to hide those issues anymore. And the family's life started to change. So when Terry got to his 60s, what exactly started to change for him? He had been forgetting things for years, so or being unable to do basic things that he used to be able to do very easily. Some of those things were quite mundane, like how to turn on the air conditioning or how to use a remote control. But then his forgetfulness would become more apparent with things like he forgot how to score his game of golf. That was a game that he loved and he'd even taught his sons how to play and they ended up playing very well because of how they'd been taught. He stopped playing golf because he couldn't remember how to score. So four or two or four or three and he he really couldn't process that scoring system anymore and I think he tried to play nine holes and then he got really frustrated and they scored for him. The blokes he was with, you know, they understood and they did it for him. he was embarrassed. Yeah, he was embarrassed. And then there were things he needed to do every day, like use an ATM. But he sort of stopped going to the ATM because he thought that they had changed. And that was about when the machines went from just, remember they used to just be pin pad machines, to touchscreen. And I think that's when he started finding that difficult. Oh, the touchscreens is different. And then I went down with him um, a week later and I had a look. I said, oh, no, it's the same. But then he worked out that if he went and brought a few groceries, he could get some cash out and he didn't have to to use the machine. It was obvious to the family that something was not quite right there. Mm. So because he struggled to use smartphones, when COVID hit, he couldn't use QR codes to check into shops. But because his memory was so bad, he couldn't remember his phone number and he simply stopped doing things that he would ordinarily do, like go down the street to buy the paper because he couldn't check into the newsagents. One time he was at a petrol station and he was trying to fill up the car and forgot that the fuel hose was still attached to the car and he jumped in and drove off. About maybe half an hour later he came home and he said, oh, I've done something terrible. And I thought, oh, what have you done? He said, oh, they've shut down the petrol station. I've pulled the bowser over. This was one incident that the family just couldn't ignore because it was so public and it was mortifying and Terry was mortified. They didn't tell very many people about it, though. They wanted to protect his dignity. Because I found it easier just to step in and cover for him and do things for him Mm. than to say anything that would cause him anxiety and stress. Mm. He couldn't work out what he was doing wrong and that just became a really common thing. And over time, symptoms like this just got worse. And how so, Steph? What What else happened to Terry? One of the things that had happened in the last couple of years of his life was he started hallucinating. So he would see things like mice in the house or bears or children, and he would start having paranoid outbursts that would kind of come on very suddenly, and he would accuse his wife and his children of all kinds of crimes, really upsetting things, and then not realise a second later that he'd said all of that and just go on as normal, which was incredibly disorienting for the family. Another thing that would happen was that at night his body wouldn't realise that it was asleep and 
that he was dreaming and he would get out of bed and sometimes act out his dreams. Sometimes he would just thrash about in the bed. But those moments could get quite violent and also very disorienting. He often didn't know where he was or what he was doing. And they first started seeking treatment after an overseas holiday in 2019 on which there were two occasions when Terry found himself outside the hotel in the middle of the night with no idea how he got there, why he was out there, or what his room number was and how to get back. Mm. That was when Kathy decided to go to the doctor. So what did the family find out? They went on a bit of a merry-go-round of doctors to finally get some diagnoses, but one of the things he was eventually diagnosed with was REM sleep behaviour disorder. So that is when your body doesn't paralyze as it usually does during REM sleep, which is like the deepest sleep when you dream. So because you're not paralyzed, you start acting out your dreams physically. Mm. But that wasn't the only diagnosis. He was also diagnosed with Lewy body dementia, which is a type of neurodegenerative disease that has symptoms that mimic a lot of psychiatric disorders. Those symptoms include visual hallucinations where you see things that aren't there, Difficulty with executive function, especially with language or numbers. Difficulty thinking to the extent that it gets in the way of day-to-day activities, so getting confused about where you are. It starts gradually and it gets worse over time, but importantly, it's a disease that can only be definitively diagnosed after you die with an autopsy. Right. So they thought this was most likely what he had um, and he was treated as if he had Lewy body dementia. And then in early 2021, Kathy and Terry watched a documentary about Shane Tuck, the famous AFL footballer who died aged 38 after struggling with his mental health. After he died, Tuck was found to have suffered from a disease called chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE. And there were elements in the documentary about his story that Terry related to, including their shared history of concussions. They were worried that he might be suffering from a similar condition to Shane Tuck before he died. After watching the documentary, Kathy and Terry talked about the concussions that Terry had had when he was a kid, both growing up on his family's farm, but also during his amateur and semi-professional rugby league career. And in those days, because Terry was only paid for the games he won, so the incentive was to go back on, right, because you want the team to win. And he played his last game in 1984 when he was 31. Terry got knocked out quite a lot playing football. And um, the the treatment was some smelling salts and back you go. Tell me more about the disease Terry's family was worried he might have, CTE. It's a neurodegenerative disease caused by head trauma and it's linked to the repeated impacts of contact sport. In the last few years, we've heard about families of famous footballers finding out after they've died that they had CTE. But because CTE can only be diagnosed officially after death with an autopsy, Terry and Kathy couldn't be sure that that's what he had, but they wanted to know because he was already suffering quite a lot from what he was going through. And after those conversations, Terry decided that he would donate his brain to the Australian Sports Brain Bank because he didn't want his family to spend the rest of their lives wondering what had happened to him. Mm. So that left Terry with his earlier diagnosis of REM sleep behaviour disorder and Lewy body dementia. What happened next? Well, the family and Terry worked with what they knew and what they could diagnose. So Kathy taught herself a lot and she could figure out the triggers for a lot of Terry's behaviours and so they could avoid them. But it was a lot of work and it didn't always work. Mm. So when anything happened, 
I would always say to myself, that's Louis. And I would just keep saying that to myself. And I found it very difficult to explain to people the, the, his symptoms. So Terry starts getting help from specialists for Lewy body dementia and REM sleep behaviour disorder. Did any of his cognitive difficulties improve after that point? So when he first got medicated for REM sleep behaviour disorder, for example, that did help a lot. But everything kind of got thrown off course in August 2021 when Terry broke his hip and had to go to hospital for this broken hip. And he was never the same after that. And he deteriorated very rapidly there. And eventually his body just shut down and he passed away in hospital with his family around him at the age of 68 on the 12th of December in 2021. We're all there and we were talking about Dad really positively and, and recalling stories and things like that. And there were little snippets there where he kind of, he knew we were there and talking about him. And I think that was really nice. Steph, you mentioned that you can only find out definitively if someone has CTE after they've passed away. Did the Strong family find out whether Terry actually did suffer from this condition when he was alive? Yes, they did. Michael Buckland from the Australian Sports Brain Bank performed the autopsy on Terry's brain and he said that his pathology was complex and showed a lot of overlapping neurodegeneration but the tau protein deposits that characterised CTE were everywhere in his brain. His cause of death was recorded as advanced Lewy body dementia, but while he did have Lewy body dementia, Dr Buckland says that the pattern and intensity of the deposits that characterise Lewy were only contained in Terry's brainstem, so they didn't correlate with his dementia symptoms, which originated from other parts of the brain. And Dr Buckland says that he believes that most likely the CTE was causing all of that. He had a very, quote, heavy burden of disease and he was only in his 60s. Dr Buckland says that's certainly not normal at all. Mm. So how did Terry's family respond to finding out that he really had been suffering from CTE all along? The family decided that they would give evidence to the Senate inquiry that's looking into concussion and to CTE, which is one of the long-term effects of head trauma in contact sport. They didn't want any other family to go through what they did. They didn't want anyone to go through what Terry did. They want to create some change in this area and they want sports people's health to be protected and to be looked after. Next, what can be done to protect athletes from the risk of CTE? Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. 
Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. So, Steph, how big a problem is CTE and concussion-related head trauma? I think the really scary thing is we don't know how big the problem is yet. The research, a lot of which has been centred out of the United States looking at gridiron specifically, shows that in former contact sports players there is a really high prevalence of CTE, but it is not that common among the rest of the population. There are other people who have been shown to sometimes have a history of CTE, um, including domestic violence victims. A lot of the research, though, has been focused on contact sports because millions of people around the world play contact sports. And one of the scariest things, I think, is that it's not just professional players who have been found to have severe CTE. Terry Strong is a case in point. He was a semi-professional. Most of the time he was an amateur and he had a very, very severe case of CTE. We've also seen other people who have died have been found to have CTE and they were also amateurs. So, Steph, you mentioned that you met the Strong family when they gave evidence to a Senate inquiry into concussions and head-related trauma. What exactly is the inquiry looking into? The inquiry was established in the wake of increasing public concern and a lot of ongoing reporting from Guardian Australia about sporting organisations' management of players' head injuries and the large and growing body of scientific evidence showing links between repeated exposure to head injury in contact sports and CTE and asks essentially what can we do to better protect players if this is a real problem, which Mm. so many people say it is. Submissions are still open for the inquiry. A couple more hearings have been scheduled for the next month and the committee will report back in June on their findings. Since the 70s and 80s, when Terry Strong played sport, there have been some changes. In recent years, the NRL, Rugby Australia and the AFL have all introduced protocols around concussion, including policies on when concussed players can return to play though experts have called for these to be strengthened. So the big question will be what more these sports bodies will be prepared to do to prevent CTE in their players. What have they told the inquiry so far about their position? We haven't heard from the AFL in the inquiry so far. I am not aware of whether they have put in a written submission yet. On the first day of hearings, the NRL Players Association turned up. The representative there said when asked that he wasn't at liberty to say whether CTE was related to contact sports or concussion. It was an extraordinarily strange answer. He later clarified that he did not have the medical authority to determine whether those things were linked. But it raised eyebrows, I think, because we also heard from people that day who had family members who suffered from CTE who played rugby league. Watching the inquiry, Steph, what are some of the things that people have suggested could change in contact sports to better protect players from the risk of contracting CTE? There are suggestions that are not just being floated in the inquiry, but also among sporting bodies at the moment around concussion substitutions, longer uh, times off for players who are 
suffering from head injury. Many codes at the moment only kind of mandate two weeks max off, but research shows that really you should be taking about a month at least if your symptoms don't persist longer than that. Certainly you shouldn't be going back to training if you still have symptoms. There have also been calls to raise the age at which you begin tackling, particularly in rugby, but also people have talked about that in AFL as well, so that you don't end up with those hard knocks that may not cause concussion, but can cause damage to the brain, even if you don't have any symptoms. Mm. And that particularly when you are younger and your brain is developing, that can be very, very bad for you later in life. And you may not realise until later in life that that's, that damage has been done. Mm. Interestingly, in early gridiron, there was an outcry about how many players were dying on the field. So they changed the rules. Mm. This is, you know, more than 100 years ago now. But it's been done before. You can change the rules of sports. Maybe that's something that we need to do. And so what about Terry Strong's family who've also made a submission to the inquiry? What do they argue in their submission? I think it's really important to say that Terry's family and Terry really love sport and they don't want to take that away from anyone. They are really clear about that. Terry's family knows that there isn't a cure for CTE or indeed any of the other things that Terry suffered from, but they do want more options for treatment and they want families and individuals to be supported with greater financial assistance, not just for research and clinical trials, but for the welfare of players. They have a duty of care. Oh, that's right. You know, to look after their players long term. Mm. Not the short term, yeah. but long term. So I know with Terry, you know, when all of this happened, there was no financial support. There was nothing. Mm. They want the government and sporting organisations to take responsibility and accountability for welfare of players. So I think for players, all players, grassroots, elite professionals, there should be some form of insurance so these players, if it happens to them, that there is that support. That they're cared for. Yeah. Not just financial support, but, you know, emotional support, all kinds of support. That's it. And that's what it boils down to. Let's just look after people. That's our responsibility to each other as human beings. That's why we've thrived on this planet is because we come together in a society and we look after each other instead of looking after ourselves. So let's do the right thing. This is a huge issue, not just in Australia, but also internationally. What responsibility do sporting clubs ultimately owe players? It's really complicated legally. In Australia, for example, professional sports people aren't covered by work cover. So injuries that are sustained during their playing career have a kind of uneasy relationship with their employers. But sporting bodies as well have historically taken a long time to recognise the science on the consequences of concussion and head trauma in sport. And there are many people who have views that they're taking too long, that the science is actually unequivocal and it may not be perfect, but we know very much so that contact sport causes these long-term injuries. Mm. And then what do you say about all of the amateurs who play and who never got paid and don't do it for money but also suffer from playing this game that is so huge and highly promoted and has a whole lot of money into it, in it and, and watched by so many people around the country? Mm. It's a really difficult question. 
what are we going to do about that? Yeah. Where do you draw the line in terms of where the responsibility lies, but also at what point do you start to maybe even change the rules of the game? Right, exactly. I do think that this is an existential crisis for sporting organisations and leagues because it means that the thing that used to be so characteristic of their game may not be the characteristic thing anymore, and that is scary for them. Thanks to Kathy and Michael Strong for sharing the story of their husband and father, Terry Strong, with us. You also heard from Stephanie Convery, inequality reporter for Guardian Australia. Stephanie also wrote a book about the dangers of concussion and head trauma called After the Count, The Death of Davy Brown. You can read more of her coverage of the Senate inquiry at theguardian.com, including a feature article on Terry Strong and his family called Slowly Tortured by His Brain, Family Urges Action on Head Trauma at Concussion Inquiry. We'll post a link to that article on the Full Story website. This episode was produced by Karishma Luthria, Ellen Leibeter, Camilla Hannon, who also did the sound design and mixing, and myself. The executive producer of this episode was Molly Glassie. I'm Jane Lee. Catch you next time. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrir. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today... We're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us.